If you're new to this series or maybe missed one or two, we talked about how um, <clears throat> the Jewish people were exiled to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar, if you've ever heard of that guy, came, uh, besieged the city, took all the captives back. And true to prophecy, Jeremiah had prophesied that they would go into captivity and they'd be in captivity for 70 years. That's exactly what happened. It was about 70 years and then King Cyrus of Persia um, made a decree that they could return, the Jews could return to their homeland, they could rebuild their temple. And so about 50,000 people went back at that time, traversed back, all it's a long trek, back to Jerusalem, uh, settled in there, each kind of, um, the, of these 50,000 people, they all kind of settled back in their own villages and towns, and the idea was to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And so um, God stirred people's hearts, he stirred Zerubbabel's heart, to kind of lead the charge, and Jeshua uh, to go back to lead the charge to start rebuilding the temple. Uh, we talked over the weeks of a lot of adversity that they had. The people that were settled in the area already didn't want the Jews coming back. They were opposed to that. And uh, at one point in time, um, in Ezra chapter 4, we saw all the ways these people tried to sabotage what uh, God was looking to do and what the people were looking to do. And so, just there's five different ways that they were trying to sabotage this. Um, we won't go into that now. Ezra 5, um, they, were, they were forced by a king's decree and by arms to stop the building progress on the, the temple. But in chapter 5, uh, God stirred the heart of Haggai and Zechariah. You can read their, their books, short letters, um, uh, Old Testament minor prophets, Haggai, Zechariah. And they encouraged the people, and they encouraged Zerubbabel to start building again. And so they did. They started building again. They reminded them that God is over them, and they had a job to do. And they were getting kind of distracted, and, and they were discouraged. But he said, keep, keep the faith. Keep building. Keep, keep working. God has given us a promise. We're going to walk through it. Uh, reflections from Ezra 5, 3 through Ezra 6, 22. That was last time. And so they start building again, and as soon as they start building again, the same forces come back. It's, oh no, here we go again. This persecution. And, uh, and the, a letter goes to the king saying, oh, we're, um, what's the, uh, tattletale? The, these Israelites are starting to build again. And so they're waiting for the letter to come back. Meanwhile, they just keep building. And the letter comes back, and it was unexpected good news. Not only did he say, continue building the temple, but all these naysayers and these people around you, they need to support you with tax money for the building of the temple. And so it was really kind of unexpected, um, but of course God was working behind the scenes. So uh, they celebrated the win, and that brings us um, kind of here, ancient Israelite temples. I just wanted to point this out because I thought this was kind of cool. Um, the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, the 12 tribes of Jacob, Jacob, if you, if you know the Old Testament, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are really popular people. God gave promises to them. And Jacob had 12 sons, and those were the 12 tribes of Israel. And they became enslaved in Egypt for a time. And when Moses and Aaron led them out of Egypt, they kind of had a tabernacle tent in the wilderness like this. And then when they got to the promised land, they kind of had a few kind of smaller, maybe it was still the tent that they were using, but they kind of had it at Shiloh, Shechem, Gibeon, 
They kind of had this temple set up or a temple of sorts, kind of a temporary thing. And then when Solomon came on the scene, they built a huge temple. And it was magnificent, glorious temple. And that lasted from about 968 when he built this huge column until Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it right here, 586 BC. And the Babylonian exile occurred. So now they get back, the 50,000 come back with Zerubbabel and Jeshua, and they reconstruct the temple and they do it with God's help. They finish the temple. It was actually a little bit larger, this one, not as magnificent, not as ornate, not as majestic, but it was actually a little bit larger in scale. And that temple stood all the way until the time of Jesus. When Herod, and just right before Jesus, and actually during his lifetime, Herod kind of disassembled and reassembled a brand new, bigger, larger, ornate, amazing looking temple in that day. It's kind of cool to see, kind of cool to see that. Here's, um, we'll skip the next slide. So here we go, Ezra chapter 7, around 457 BC. Many years later, so after this temple is constructed, some years go by, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, they're getting older. Many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra, say Ezra. He was the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Meraoth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abushua, and the son of Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the high priest. I want you guys to repeat those names <laughs> after me. Just a lot of names, right? Just a, just a ton of names that have no relevance to us, no significance to your life. Actually, there's something so cool here and that God has for you today in all these names. And what in the world would God have for me in all these crazy names? It's cool here that Aaron was the brother of Moses. Aaron, Aaron the high priest, that was the last name on there. Aaron the high priest. He was the brother of Moses. They brought the, 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 the Jews, the, the Hebrews, out of um, Egypt through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And there's an unbroken chain of people, generations that are recorded for our benefit, and they add credence to the historical account. Like here is the birth of so-and-so and so-and-so, and you can trace this all the way down yeah. to Mr. Ezra. And what's cool, more cool, is you can identify, when you go through some of the historical books in the Old Testament, like Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, and you see different kings that existed, you'll see certain people that spoke into their lives. And some of those people were some of these people. And you see it when you're reading through Samuel or Kings that so-and-so said to King so-and-so, and it was one of these priests that were encouraging them or rebuking them. And so, just a few of these to look at. Of course, there's Aaron. Aaron, um, that's not Aaron, but that's Aaron, the high priest. This was, God said to Aaron, he said, um, and instructed through Moses, he said, you shall anoint them, Aaron and his sons, and they may min- that they may minister to me as priests, for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. An everlasting priesthood. He gives birth to Eliezer. Eliezer gives birth to Phineas. Um, at this time, they're still in the wilderness. They haven't yet crossed over into the promised land. And Phineas, um, 
the nation of Israel has really gone into sin and they've already kind of turned their back on God and a plague actually breaks out in the camp. There's a plague going on. There's a guy that walks. They were, they were not supposed to take foreign wives at this time because God was establishing something um, pure. He was supposed to be their God. And all of these surrounding nations, they worshipped false gods and other gods. And he was telling this nation of Israel to be holy. And, to, and he gave them the Ten Commandments. And he's, and he's training them and helping them grow in their trust. That they're a fickle people. And, and one guy goes out, grabs a Midianite wife, who was very, a pagan woman, this was against their law, brought him right in past Aaron and Moses, right into a tent where they were going to do something. And, and this Phineas guy, he runs, and he is in a place of, this guy is a priest, and at that point in time, the way their government worked, he was in a place of, uh, that he could judge people. And so you see he has a spear in his hand. I won't go too much more into it. But Phineas, this says, Numbers 25.10, The Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. Since he was zealous for my honor among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood. Because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. So now this chain, Aaron had a few sons, four sons, um, but that chain of unending descendants is going to run through Phineas. And now we go, we skip a few, skip a few down the road, and and they actually are in scripture, you can find them as well, but I wanted to point out Zadok, because Zadok was very instrumental. When David, King David, the King David, was passing away, one of his sons tried to grab control uh, Abinijah tried to grab hold of the kingdom for himself, invited all the no- nobility, all the dignitaries, all the important people, was going to crown himself king. And, um, and anyway, they caught word of it. Bathsheba spoke with David. Uh, Nathan the prophet spoke to David. David said, get Zadok, the high priest, Benaniah, and Nathan the prophet. Go down to the spring of Gahon and anoint Solomon. And say, long live King Solomon. And they did that, and all Jerusalem heard, and Solomon became king, and it was Zadok who poured oil. It says, then Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tabernacle, anointed Solomon. They blew the horn, and all the people said, long live King Solomon. And so Zadok had a part to play. You skip a couple generations, and you get to Hilkiah. Hilkiah was during the reign of Josiah. Josiah, king of Israel. And there was a great reform at that time where Josiah turned the people back to the Lord. Josiah loved the Lord God, and he wanted to serve him. And he was having the temple um, restored, because it had fallen into disrepair. Having it restored, and Hilkiah, the high priest, is in there. And inside one of the walls of the temple, he finds a scroll. It's the law of God, the law of Moses. And he brings that out, gives it to Shaphan, one of the scribes, to read to King Josiah. Josiah reads it, tears his garments. Uh, we read 2 Kings 22, 8, Then Helkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. But it's cool to pick each of these. You can see this line, this priestly line. Yeah. God had given promises to Aaron, to Phineas, and you see it continued through Zadok, through Helkiah. In fact, <clears throat> right before their exile, Jeremiah, in chapter 33, he wrote this. He said, For thus says the Lord, verse 17, 
David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, to kindle grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will not be day or night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. As the hosts of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister to me. So God had given a covenant that David's line would continue and Levi's line through Aaron and Moses, Phineas, Zadok, Hilkiah, Ezra now, Ezra's in that line. It's going to continue forever. What is interesting, I should say this, what tribe was Jesus from of the 12 tribes of, of Jacob? Judah. Hey, a lot of whispering. It's all Judah. From the tribe of Judah, what's kind of cool is Mary, his mother, was a relative of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was married to Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. And Elizabeth herself was a daughter of Aaron, a direct descendant of Aaron, the Bible says in Luke 1, 5. So did or did Jesus not also have some Levite blood in him? I don't know. And maybe, maybe not. But there's a very close link right there. And Jesus, when he came, he's called our high priest. And not after the insufficient line of Aaron, although he may, may not have Levite blood in him, but according to the order of Melchizedek. And some of these names so far, some of you might be hearing like, I don't know any of these names. And you're pointing out all these. I have no clue what you're talking about. That's fine. The, the rest of the sermon is way more applicable. But some of this, some people will really latch on to some of this. Hebrews 6, uh, 27, 3, some, just some of the verses from Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 7. Jesus, uh, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, Old Testament, a guy that Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, gave tithes to and worshipped. Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Continually. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Just cool that Jesus is our high priest now forever. And if that be true, Jesus died for our sins on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, gave us his righteousness so that we could go to heaven so that we could be with God, we could have a right, uh, a repaired relationship, a restored relationship with God. Jesus, our high priest, the mediator between God and man, God himself taking on flesh, dying for our sins. In doing that, we put our faith in him. When we put our faith in him, we become adopted into God's kingdom. We become heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, brothers of Christ. We become priests. We become princes and prince, prince and princesses. 
We become nobility. We become children of God. We become ourselves priests. We are mediators between God, God's kingdom, and the earth. The supernatural and the secular. Number one, I am part of the priestly line. I am part of the priest. I don't feel like a priest. I'm a sinner. You don't know me, buddy. I, I am not a priest. I'm not a saint either. No, you are. You are. If you put your faith in Jesus, his righteousness covers you in the position you are a priest because you're in God's family. You're a priest. Just as Ezra was a priest through ancestry, you are a priest through Jesus Christ. And we have a long line of people of faith that are priests. From Jesus all the way to us, people that have had faith in Christ, and they are priests, and we are priests. Really cool. We're ambassadors as priests to bestow his love and truth to the world around us. We conduct the affairs of God on earth. We're doing God's work on earth. I am part of the priestly line. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Whether you feel like it or not, that's what you are. That's what I am. Or a priest, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Yes. So I just walk around proclaiming Jesus is awesome. God is awesome. That's what I do. I'm a priest. Helping people know God, helping people trust God, teaching God's ways, modeling his ways. That's our, that's our job. We are a priesthood. Do not minimize your worth or your position. God calls you beloved, nobility, his child, his friend, his ambassador. He calls you one of his priests. Pastor Bob oftentimes holds this up. These are available in the foyer. But a lot of times how we see ourselves and how God sees us is very different. A lot of times we're believing Satan's lies of who we are and what we're worth and how valuable we aren't. And God has truths about who we are and how he sees us through his son and through his love. He's made us new. Our actions have a lot of, have a lot of, um, uh, need a lot of work and attention. Till the, day, till the day we die. But we are beloved and we are priests. And God loves us very much. Ezra 7 verse 6a, the beginning of it, says, This Ezra, so this Ezra connected to the ancestral line, the Aaronic ancestral line, the Levitical ancestral line. This Ezra was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. So this guy, he was well-versed. He focused his time and energies towards studying, practicing, and teaching the law of Moses. That's where he put his energies. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the Torah. That's the Old Testament Torah. He probably also had access to the, the histor- historical books, the poetic books, Psalms, Proverbs, Esther was a contemporary of his, so he probably knew that story. Um, But he applied himself, diligent to know the word of God. He was mindful of the things of God. That's a sermon we had back when we studied 2 Peter. Are we mindful of the things of God? He was mindful, not of the things of man, but of the things of God. 
meditated on them day and night, took seriously the things of God. He sought to know them intimately. Took them serious. Made it his ambition. There's a lot of things we, uh, you and I apply ourselves to throughout the week and things that we memorize or meditate on or think on or give ourselves to or feed our mind. Um, but how awesome it is, how awesome it was that Ezra set his heart and set his mind on the things of God to know it. He was well-versed. Um, I saw a video sometime back. Wow, it just changed my paradigm on Scripture because for so long, when I'd open the Bible, I would think, all right, what does God have for me today in my moment of need today where I'm at? What's here for me? And as I start reading, what's to be applied into my life? Which is not a bad way to approach Scripture. However, this slide here, how to read the Bible. uh, For enlightenment... Yes, definitely, but also as an investment. And this video, this person speaking said, when I come to the Bible, I may or may not get something in that moment that's an epiphany or an enlightenment. You know, sometimes I read the Bible and I don't, you know, I did got nothing from that. I mean, I read it. I was faithful. I read it. I got nothing from that. But the person said, when you read, it's an investment in the word of God. You're putting time and energy into the word of God. You're putting the word of God into you. And maybe a month later or a year later, you're in a circumstance or a situation where the Holy Spirit can now bring that to mind because you've digested that. You've made an investment that later you can withdraw on. And so we go to God's word every day. And if we have an enlightenment for that day, awesome. If God gives us something special for where we're at in that moment, awesome, and he does that. But a lot of times, God has things that he wants us to learn or know. And a lot of times, what we think we need, God knows better. And timing-wise, what my desires are, God may have other plans that are superior. And so I just invest in the word of God, and I challenge um, myself, challenge you guys, read the Bible. If you brush your teeth every day, Read your Bible every day. Do that too. It's an investment that will pay off down the road. So we invest in Scripture. And Ezra did that. He invested in Scripture. Isaiah 66, 2b says, But on this one I will look, says God, on him who is poor and of contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. It's talking about a humble heart that is dependent and reliant upon God and reveres his word and takes his word seriously and builds their life upon his word. God God says, on that person, I'm going to look. I'll look upon that person in a positive manner. Number two, I am a student of God's word. Like Ezra. Number one, I am a priest. Two, I am a student of God's word. You and I, we're students. We want to know God more. We want to pursue God. We want to build our life on his word. Feelings are up and down and all over the place. Popular opinion changes every 30 seconds on issues. God's word remains the same and it endures forever. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We build our life on the word of God. Changes not. 
Second Peter 3.8 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Keep our eyes on Jesus and grow. Grow. You know, so we turn the page. Thanksgiving's done. Here's Christmas. And you blink, and it'll be the new year. The new year. And when the new year comes, that is a good time for us to be very intentional about seeking the Lord. Because he knows what the next year entails, and we don't. And we commit ourselves again. We should do this every day. But we take an intentional time. We do it every year. Um, We have Bible reading plans that are ready for 2023 to help you read through the Bible. Um, And those will be available. Uh, We do something called Transform, Four Nights of Seeking God. So four nights in a row, we just have worship and praise for an hour and, uh, and prayer. And people can pray. And um, you can sit and listen or reflect, or if you desire to pray, you can pray. But it's a really cool time of seeking the Lord together for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for our community. And then uh, you heard it on the video announcements, but there's a, there's a life group that will be starting up mid-January, Life-Changing Prayer. Uh, Jim Simbola is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in um, New York. And uh, that'll be a great study. Our men and our women's life groups will be going through that. And I think I got a preview. I think Pastor Bob is going to be starting the book of Daniel in January. So that'll be awesome. All right. Ezra 7, verse 6a. This Ezra was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. Another version says that he was a skilled scribe. He was well-versed. He was a skilled scribe. Number three, I provide diligent work. Ezra was diligent. He was diligent. And you and I, we provide diligent work. Have you noticed that there's a skilled labor shortage in the world? Becoming skilled is biblical. We should all endeavor to become skilled in whatever line of work we are called to as Christians. You and I should become skilled. And not all of us are going to be skilled as Ezra's vocation or occupation was as a priest, vocationally, occupationally. You and I might be skilled in other areas that God has called us to. Look at this. This is... This blows my mind. In just a short amount of time, there, there, was, there was a ton of scriptures. I grabbed four. There were a ton of scriptures on God endorsing the fact that we are to be skilled workers. 1 Corinthians 25, 7. So the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, musicians, all who were skillful was 288. This is talking about a group of people. 1 Corinthians 22:15 Moreover there were workmen with uh, there are workmen with you in abundance woodsmen stonecutters and all types of skillful men for every kind of work Exodus 35:25 All the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue purple scarlet thread fine linen cloth Judges 20:16 Of all the people there were 700 select men who were left-handed everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss They were skilled in war the Benjamites Skilled in music, skilled in craftsmanship, 
skilled in thread, skilled in sewing, skilled in war. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Solomon wrote this. He says, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings, and they will not serve before officials of low rank. It's a good challenge for us to become skilled, to grow in our work ethic and our skill sets and honing them. You know, skilled labor isn't cheap. And cheap labor isn't skilled. <laughs> Have you noticed that? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Paul was talking to his protege, Timothy. He said, Timothy, he said, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one that does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Romans 12, so, so Timothy was like Paul. He was, he, was a, um, he was a preacher and teacher of the gospel. Um, Romans 12, 6 through 8 says, In his grace, God has given us all different gifts for doing certain things well. Well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly, skilled, doing it well with excellence. We can grow. Maybe you're a jack of all trades, which is a skill in itself. Jack of all trades, master of none. How's the rest of that go? Oftentimes better than the master of one. I think that's how that goes. But that's a skill set to know a lot, even about a little about a lot. A lot about a little. A little about a lot. Here's a good prayer. Lord, how best can I serve you? God, what would you like me to learn or work on for your, that's supposed to say your glory. Miss the why. God, what do you want me to, what can I hone? Is there a new skill or is there something I should get better at that would be advantageous for your kingdom, or that would help people? What do you want, Lord? What do you want from me? Ezra 7, 6b. He came up to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave him everything he asked for because the gracious hand of the Lord his God was on him. Continuing, verse 7 through 9, some of the people of Israel, as well as some of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants, traveled up to Jerusalem with him in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign. As he arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year, he had arranged to leave Babylon on April 8th, the first day of the new year, and arrive at Jerusalem on August 4, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. We see that phrase again. So here they go, this map here. <clears throat> Zerubbabel, on the first one, they took 50,000 people back to Jerusalem. They traveled from this area all the way up here with the black arrows, way up, and then back down. 
And the idea is that's like almost a year-long traverse or nine months or something like that. Ezra left, and Ezra came, and they kind of took this path here. It was a closed route. It was dangerous, very dangerous route. Um, dangerous because of bandits and thieves and stuff that could interfere with your, your travels. Um, but they went that route, and um, God's gracious hand was upon them. The king gave him everything he asked for because the hand, the gracious hand of the Lord was upon him, and they made this quick, unbelievably quick um, travel because God's gracious hand was upon them. Yeah. So some food for thought here. Ezra's motives and his desires and his ambitions. What did Ezra ask for? What was Ezra's motives and desires? He was well-versed in scripture. He was diligent. He was seeking God and God's kingdom. He is wanting to know God, practice God's ways, and teach God's ways. And because so, because his heart was aligned with God's heart, because God's heart, God's ideas were Ezra's ideas, Ezra's ideas, his thoughts, his passions were God's, God paved the way for things to happen. God's gracious hand was upon them because what he asked for was in line with what God wanted him to ask for. You're asking for what I... I don't know if sometimes with children, I want them to ask me for certain things. And if they'll ask me the right questions at the right times or in the right ways, it's a home run. Absolutely. Absolutely you can. Or yes, I will. Or what... There's questions that I want them to ask me. There's other questions I don't want them to ask me. The answer is no. So no. But Ezra, because he'd aligned his heart and he'd set his heart to know God and his ways, and he was passionate and had the thoughts of what God had and what God desired, the answer was just yes. They shared the same desires and thoughts. So God's answer is yes, yes, yes. Smooth sailing, yep. You might need provision, yep. Yep, we're going to get the job done. James 4.3 says, <clears throat> James is, is talking to a church and they're, in, they're a mess. The, 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 the people uh, in Jerusalem that he's writing to, the Jews that he's writing to, and he says, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. So even when they actually think to ask God for something, they're asking with the wrong motives. You only want that what will give you pleasure. They're only asking for what they want in the flesh, carnally, sensually, or other, greed. And so the answer is no, I'm not going to give you things that are going to harm you and be bad for you long term. Um, God's hand of providence was upon Ezra because Ezra was looking to be obedient to God's plan. Ezra had sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and in so doing, God granted him vision and passion and providence. Similarly, when we seek God's kingdom, we should have a confident expectation of God's providence upon us. Number three, I should say number four, God's blessing is upon me to accomplish his mission. On mission for God. If God be for me, who can be against me? He's above, below, in front, behind, to my left, to my right. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, though in my name, asking in faith, Asking according to my will, 
Jesus taught a lot on prayer throughout the Gospels. Sometimes people will, or we're susceptible to picking one verse out on prayer, but he says a whole bunch about prayer. When you put it all together, asking in his name, asking faith, according to his will, if our hearts are aligned with God and his thoughts are our thoughts, there's certain prayers, certain requests that God will not say no to. These prayers are those that he himself has inspired, those that we must take the time to hear and adopt as our own. God has prayers for us to pray if we will hear them and adopt them. He has passions. It's cool. He has, man, I want to give this passion. Maybe he comes over and says, I want to give this passion to Travis. If he has a capacity for it or an openness for it, if he'll receive it, I have a passion to put in his heart for something. Or I have some thoughts. I have some really good ideas for Travis if he'll if he will let them come in, if he will adopt them, if he'll grab hold of them. And a lot of times there's too much occupying the space and there's too much already in my heart that I I don't have space or capacity or I reject the passions or the desires or the thoughts that God, but he has a whole bunch for us if we're willing to, to take them. And if we take them, there will be provision to accomplish that mission. What might God want to accomplish through you if you are willing? When we ask certain things, God, help me to show love to my spouse. God, help me to show your love to my kids today. God, grant me strength to live for you today. God, let truth be pronounced through me today in this situation. God can do and will do his gracious hand upon us. Fulfilling the calling through the anointing. God's hand upon us. We see that throughout scripture, God's hand upon people. He'll stir their hearts, humble hearts, God will stir. And when they receive that and they step forward in faith, his hand, his gracious hand is upon them. God's hand was upon Ezra to bring spiritual renewal. We'll read about that in future weeks. Spiritual renewal to the people of Israel and Judea. God's hand was upon the Apostle Paul in the New Testament to reach the Gentile world, to write much of the New Testament. His hand was upon him. In fact, when when Paul um, put his faith in Jesus Christ, when he first put his faith in Jesus Christ, he said, you're the Savior, you're God, you died for my sins. I'm a priest, I'm adopted, I'm a kid, I'm forgiven. Eternal life. When that happened, God, God said, he didn't just take him to heaven and, and Paul was gone. He said, now i got a mission for you, Paul. If you're willing to take it, if you'll receive this, I have a mission for you. I have a calling for you. I have thoughts and desires for you. Acts 9, 16. Um, Go, said the Lord. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I wanted to throw this one in there because just because Ezra, everything was granted him from the king and everything was granted, you know, for quick travels, the gracious hand of God was upon him. God's gracious hand was on Paul too. And that didn't mean that there was no suffering involved or no persecution or that everything was clear sailing all the time. There was pushback. 
And God knew that my man, he's, he's thinking, my man Paul, man, I have such a mission for him. And, and it's going to be hard for him, but my man Paul, he's going he's gonna to do it with my strength, with my grace. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him the grace he needs to go through whatever he needs to, to proclaim the kingdom to the Gentile world, to write these scriptures so people can have it. And I have so much reward for my man Paul in heaven. Um, but, but he was saying, I, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul's like, I'm willing to do it. I want to do it. I'm going to do it. It's worth it. And so, even as Jesus, Jesus came to earth, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's worth it. Jesus loved us. The Father loved us, so loved us. And Jesus loved us. And he's like, I'm going to do it. It's worth it to save my, these people. And so Paul's like that too. Like, yeah, I'm worth, send me, send me to Philippians. Chain me to that guard with that 14 inch chain, 16 inch chain. What is it? 16? 18? I'm willing. I'm willing to do it. And God's grace, God's gracious hand was upon Paul to fulfill the mission. Even as he's sitting in jail, he's fulfilling the mission. We're writing, reading his letters. So, um, Ezra 7.10. This was because God's gracious hand was upon him. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. Another version says, Ezra set his heart to study the word, practice it, teach it. Ezra was loyal to God. He was devoted to God. Some people are people pleasers. Ezra was God pleaser. Yeah. I'm a God pleaser. I'm going to live for you, God. Yeah. That involves loving people. Mm-hmm. God was, or Ezra was loyal. He was devoted. And number five, I devote myself to Jesus and to his kingdom. God gave his, Jesus gave his life for me. His kingdom is the kingdom above all kingdoms. He's the king above all kings. His values are awesome. The value system of the kingdom of God, the grace, the mercy, the love that abides, the truth, the holiness, the package deal. It is so magnificent and so glorious. I devote myself to King Jesus. I want to live my life like Paul. I say, yes, God, I, I want to know you better. I want to practice your ways. I want to help other people know you and see you. I want to set myself apart. I want to keep myself, I want to make myself available to you. There's so many things that vie for our time and our energies and our attention, but I want to make myself available to you. And I also want to live purely. I want to live rightly because I want to be available to you and I want to be, I want your spirit to be able to work through me. Second um, Timothy two twenty through 21. Again, Paul talking to Timothy says in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean. You'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. 
So God, I want to be available. And I want to be pure, and I want to do the right thing. Not, not so I can get into heaven. I mean, you, you paved the way, your blood, you died for me in my place. But I want to work worthy of the priesthood to which I'm called. I want to walk worthy, and I want to be useful, and I want to fulfill the works that you planned for me. I'm going to close with this. Um, it, was, it was cool that um, I remember a story jumped into my head. It was King David. He wasn't king yet at this point in time. He had a large um, band army kind of guys with him, and he was kind of a fugitive at this time, uh, fleeing from King Saul. But at one point, he's out, and, um, and his men needed food, and, and there was a guy that they asked if, they, if he would lend them some food, and, and David's men had been protecting this guy's estate from thieves and other things and treated him real well. And the guy says, no, you're just a, you're a, you're a mooch. We're not giving you anything. I know who you are. And, and, and David was furious at this guy. I mean, they'd taken care of this guy and pr- protected him. And David was going to get some revenge. He's like, let's go kill that guy. Let's kill him. And this guy, Naboth, evil Naboth, his wife, Abigail, she was a wise woman, a God-fearing woman. She comes out ahead of time. She actually brings food to David and says, David, don't do something that you'll regret. Don't do something that you'll regret down the line. Down the line. It'll be said that you killed or you took revenge on this person. Leave revenge to God. God has plans for you, David. We know that you're, you're going to be king one day. And that story serves to show us that it's important that we don't undermine or sabotage our future because we're reacting in anger or reacting to uh, carnal things, um, compromising in areas of modesty, purity, holiness, honesty. And so none of us are worth um, God's love, but he loves us anyway. But Ezra is a man worth following. And in conclusion, um, with Zerubbabel and Jeshua, you know, they ran their race. And now it was time for Ezra and Nehemiah to come on the scene. Ezra to bring spiritual renewal and Nehemiah to help build the walls of Jerusalem, of the city. Ezra was needed at just the right time. He came on the scene. You and I have an important role to play, and God's hand is upon us. Reflection today, your identity as priests, your dependence upon the Bible, your development of useful skills, your confidence in God's hand upon you, providence, your determination to live for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for Ezra and that we can read about him and see, Lord, the way in which he patterned his life. And we thank you for your gracious hand upon him and using him in such a powerful and important way in that time. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this room and for each of their lives and for each of their skill sets and for the calling that you have upon them, Lord, for their circles of influence and the people they see, Lord, their family members and their work environments. I thank you, God, that um, you have called us to know you, Lord, and we desire to know you better. 
Lord, let us be as Ezra was, Lord, and being well-versed, Lord, in the things of you, Lord, the things of the kingdom of heaven, Lord. Our eyes would be upon you, Lord, and, and that we could grow even just practically, Lord, in, in our work, in our skill sets, whatever they may be, Lord, so that we can bring honor to you. Those skill sets would open doors of opportunity, Lord, for us to make you known and to model and to have a voice. Lord, we want to hear your thoughts and we want to have your heart and your passions. And just as Ezra devoted himself, Lord, to you and the things of you, Lord, we want to, again today, Lord, devote ourselves to you and your kingdom. There's nothing better to serve. Thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.